Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you. Freestyle Friday is upon us, which means that, you know, we can just get right to it. Oh, wait, no, I, 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 <laughs> that's, oh, what a start to Freestyle Friday. I didn't give Tyrone a heads up. And, uh, action movie quote Friday, can we, sir? Thank you. Action. That's on me. The Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Formation of parade. I love the call. Movie. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils. Quote. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Jack Burton. Me. Fridays. Thanks for the advice. Action movie quote Fridays. Bring it to the 15th degree black belt in action movie quotes. That would be me, Buck Sexton. 844-900-2825. Let's see what you got. There's not a there's not a ton of huge breaking news today, so we have a chance to chat about whatever's on your mind. Uh, it's, a, it's a good Friday to cover a wide variety of topics. Before I jump into the latest media uh, machinations over the whole Russia dossier gps thing which now all of a sudden they're like oh gosh like we might have to like actually cover this oh no what are we gonna do uh before i get into that let me just give you a a, a road map for where the freedom hunt is going we will be talking about the uh, jfk files i i did some brushing up on my history of the jfk assassination i spent i had some trouble sleeping last night so i was reading about that as well as reading about The Real Dracula, which is coming up next week. A little teaser for that show. Uh, not, it's not going to be a whole show, but it'll be a really interesting discussion, I think. I will tell you that I was telling somebody in the media business today about The Real Dracula, and she had never even heard any of this, and she was fascinated by it. So I like to think that is a good indicator that when I started to tell you that Dracula was a crusader, in the in the actual original sense of the term, and was a highly trained warrior who was also unfortunately a sadist and uh, but was part of fighting against Ottoman expansion into Europe, a critical component really on the front lines of stopping. Dracula was on the front lines of blunting and stopping the jihad, my friends. That's coming up next week. True story. That is all true. Um, but back to JFK assassination, speaking of historical events that we're going to be uh, spending some time on this show, uh, I... And all the conspiracies around it. I, I try to familiarize myself with them. And I know that, there, look, there are whole books written on the conspiracies. And there's whole, I have not uh, spent as much time as many others on that. That is putting it mildly. But I'm certainly up on the, the history of it. And we'll talk about that. And we have an expert joining who is just up to, up to her, her eyeballs in, uh, in all the new all the new documents that have been released and all the new information out there, and she'll tell us what's going on with that. For those of you who are JFK watchers or not, you know what I mean, interested in that story, which gets, gets a lot of attention, these new documents, even though so far, well, 
I'm going to give it away. We're talking about that. Also, a follow-up to yesterday's uh, opioid speech by President Trump. I will give you uh, – well, I'll spend some time on that with an expert about what – particularly on the prescription drug side, what needs to change and, and what the biggest takeaways were from that Trump speech, uh, which, I thought, which I thought was a very, very powerful speech. And then also Tyrone is going to join to talk about some NFL happenings this week. Uh, we have a packed show of a lot of things. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't or, 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 I, or I do not get excited about the prospect of hearing from all of you as well. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. All right. Single biggest story this week, I think, the JFK files notwithstanding, had to do with the Fusion GPS fallout for the Democrats. Well, I, I did have to, it was Hillary Clinton's birthday yesterday. And did you see, by the way, there's the tweet where she tweets to herself right before the election, happy birthday to this future president. Incredible. Incredible. What happened was I lost. Yeah, no, it was, wow. If you haven't seen that, I know a lot of you aren't on Twitter, but it's worth just Googling to see it. Yeah, right before the election, right before the election. Uh, but the Fusion GPS story, I, I can tell for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time since this was a major anti-Trump narrative that was getting all this attention and, and all this effort from the media. But for the first time, I think they realize that there's no obvious uh, way that they can just sweep this aside. That Hillary funding this thing, the, oh, we didn't know about this, this millions of dollars that were that was spent uh, with this law firm to do oppo research and this guy running around Russia. I mean, it is so uh, not believable that this was that there was no problem here and no one knew anything and everything else. Now, the media is kind of in this place of being like, oh, OK, OK. So our whole we're not going to cover this because this is not a story. That's not really that's not really going to fly. But we're going to have to do this in a way that it doesn't give too much for the uh, doesn't give too much for the Republicans to work with. But yet former CIA director Leon Panetta with the following. This is going to be a little tough one for the Democrats to handle, I think. Well, it certainly makes the situation very awkward. Uh, If you're testifying and saying you have no knowledge uh, and the attorney sitting next to you is one of those that uh, knew uh, what uh, what was involved here, uh, I I think it does uh, raise an issue that the committee is going to have to look at uh, and uh, determine just exactly who knew what. Yeah. Panetta, you know, Panetta is a, he, look, he, he's a Democrat, but he's not a, uh, I, I always heard pretty good things about him from fair-minded people I knew in D.C. He's not a hardline partisan, right? He's not a, a Hillary bot who just goes on TV like, Hillary is amazing. Everything Hillary says is perfect. I just want to be like Hillary. I mean, he's, he, you know, he call, he call, he'll call balls and strikes, right? We shouldn't pretend that not, not every prominent democrat with a with a voice in the media is just a, a constant lefty right there are some who are willing to call balls and strikes uh, and i think panetta is one of them he's saying look there's just watch next week panetta's gonna be like trump should go to prison i'm like oh gosh what did i do now 
Um, maybe I have a soft spot for Panetta because he ran the agency when, uh, uh, you know, during my, my time down in D.C. Um, but Panetta is saying they're going to have to look into this, which means they are probably going to have to look into it. Um, and now it's going to become an issue of how do they go through the motions while making sure that it doesn't rattle this this overarching storyline of Russia-Trump collusion too much. It's not going to be easy. You have Dana Bash, name spelled Dana, but said Dana. And I will tell you, if you if you mess it up, if you say Dana, she will stop you and say, no, no, it is Dana. So, you know, sometimes I'm Buck and sometimes I'm Buke. And if you get that wrong, folks, you know, I'm just saying. But anyway, Dana, Dana Bash over at CNN had the following to say about how that network would be or would not be covering the GPS collusion bombshell. Yeah, and by the way, I've spoke to, spoken to Democrats on that committee who say, you know what, what? if there is a, a new piece of information, let's hear it. If this FBI informant slash whistleblower um, wants to talk to yeah. us about something, let's hear it. But that doesn't mean that this is where, you know, the, the story is. I mean, I'm pretty sure that means that's where the story is. I, I'm, you know, you, you can you can call me crazy. But when you have a, an informant who had a, a, a gag order, in effect, by the FBI under the Obama administration that was kept for against his will for years um that to me is is a is suspect you know i think that would be high on the list of things that you'd want to cover as a story i, f- I forget last night there was something about you know, they they tried and it was a story that didn't get nearly as much attention this week but they were all of a sudden uh they had up there these uh it's something about like WikiLeaks and and did you see this? It was like popping around, guys. You remember there was like WikiLeaks talk to somebody who was a Republican or something like that, and they were trying to get this going, right? Like ah, oh, like but no, the, it was just so obvious. It was no, the Republicans are the bad guys. The Republicans and and it didn't work, but it was such an obvious effort at deflection. They're like, well, let's talk about the WikiLeaks connection here that no one's really paying attention to. So they couldn't – usually they can play that game and it works for them. Uh, this time around, it it did not. Uh, they were forced to – I think they were forced to spend a lot more time on this issue than they had initially planned. But the, as Dana, Dana Bash just said, it's not where the story is. Except it is because that's why she's talking about it. So you have that. And you have others who are just – who are just dead-enders. I mean, you have others who are never going to change on this. doesn't matter what. They are they are locked into the position of Russia Trump collusion is a big thing. Hillary DNC paying for the GPS report, the dossier that was the basis for all this. Oh no, that's not a big thing. Uh, and 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 also, oh, I should note the Uranium One story, which I know it it is convoluted or there's a lot of details, but there are certainly some parts of it. You're like, wow. They're working really hard to mess up our nuclear industry and Russians are doing shady stuff. And how many millions did they give to the Clinton Foundation exactly? How many millions was it? It was a lot of millions. Uh, but there are some over at CNN, for example, who say that this is this is nothing at all. 
remember, I mean, this whole uranium thing comes from Fox News. I mean, this is this is a closed investigation that came up in Peter Schweitzer's book, uh, Clinton Cash, in 2015. It was discredited then. It's from 2010, by the way. Or 20, well, yeah. I mean, that, that was that, when the, 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 the book came out in 2015. Exactly. Yeah. The, the book came out in 2015. It was one of the accusations. It's been discredited. Two years later, Fox News and Republicans in Congress and Republicans in the White House start raising it simply as a way to wave Russia back at the Democrats. Uh, How is it discredited? I just think this is fascinating. You know, if you're going to have somebody that's that's uh, Tubin, who's one of the legal analysts, who's a who's a left wing guy. I mean, says says stuff on TV that you don't have to have a law degree. You're just like, well, that's that's idiocy right i mean he is a far left dude uh but he's on tv he's saying this i mean peter schweitzer is the author of clinton cash i read clinton cash cover to cover and i would like them to maybe have the author on and tell him what has been discredited about it because i i am always i even have i'll tell you something on on a, one of my computers i have a whole tab that is left wing that's like left wing world or not a whole tab, my, a whole browser that just devoted all the tabs to left-wing sites so that I can, you know, all of a sudden I sit there, I put on like a like the pajama boy outfit and I have an indoor scarf on and I'm sipping a matcha green tea soy latte and I start reading, you know, HuffPost and Slate and Nation and Young Turks and all these, uh, you know, giving them free advertising on this show. But I read all these left-wing sites sometimes because I want to know what the other side says. And I don't remember anybody doing, maybe they did it, but I never saw any real takedown of what's in Clinton cash. But you'll notice how, how just blithely, how, how uh, nonchalant the, oh, uh, it was discredited is thrown out there. But they don't tell you how. Doesn't it sort of remind you? Remember yesterday when we had that show with Aaron Burnett where uh, she had on, uh, I, for, I forget, oh, Clapper, right? It was like, it doesn't matter who did the thing with the, you know. I mean, Clapper's, it doesn't matter who was the funding. I know my Clapper sounds a little too much like Alex Jones. But the the truth here is that when when she was talking about it, she goes, well, some of the some of the dossier was verified. What parts? We don't get to know. They just get to say that because it makes the people watching who are Democrats feel happy about things. Same kind of idea applies here. Right. They'll say that that the Uranium One story has been discredited. How? What parts? By whom? That's all left out. All you have to hear is discredited Uranium One. You know, this is not this is not the Uranium story you're looking for. I mean, they're just just making it up, everybody. Just making it up. But hey, you know, I guess it's it's ratings, it's narrative, it's virtue signaling. And hey, it's Friday. So uh, we've got this and much more coming up. Uh you got an action movie quote for me. Let's hear what you got. And I'll be right back. All right, team. We've got uh, Richard in Maryland. Hey, Richard. Yes. Hi, Buck. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, well, I, I guess I should say buke. So buke. <laughs> but, hey, I wanted to talk about uh, cognitive dissonance, okay, in terms of uh, what the, what liberals are feeling right now. And that is when... You're trying to hold two incongruent ideas, beliefs at the same time. So for the longest time, they truly believed 
that there was uh, this collusion with Russia, and now they're having to face the facts, and it is really a very hard pill for them to swallow. Well, the notion that the election would be erased, never mind that Trump would be drummed uh, you know, out of office and into a jail cell, is uh, that's, that's not going to happen. I think that's what's scaring them. Absolutely. And, and truly, you know, with uh, my colleagues who I, I am with, I mean, they, they really do believe that what's scary is they really do believe this stuff. And so it is hitting them very hard. Yeah, I, I think it is, it, it is a, a shock to a lot of people that have been imbibing a steady diet of uh, CNN, MSNBC, and the other, you know, some of the other broadcast networks uh, that this is, it's just not going anywhere. It's not, it's not going to happen. I mean, I, I don't see how at this point again. Yeah, maybe, maybe they get Manafort for tax evasion or money laundering. Okay, so what? That's right, you know, and, uh, you know, and also shows the abuse of power. I don't know how much longer the press can ignore this because it's just such a juicy story. It's amazing that they will literally, um, you know, hurt themselves and by ignoring some incredible stories, but I think it's now gotten to the point that they can't ignore it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's uh, I think that's the, the case as well. Thanks for calling in, Richard. Appreciate it. Uh, so here's oh wait, Sarah Sarah Huckabee Sanders has been having a strong week, by the way. This is uh, this is what she had to say about all the stuff we're talking about. Uh, I think that the president's been pretty clear what his position throughout this process. That's not the only investigation that's taken place. Congress has spent a great deal of time on this, uh, a better part of a year. Uh, All of your news organizations have actually spent probably a lot of money on this as well, which we would consider probably a a pretty big waste. I think that um, our position hasn't changed since day one. And I think we are seeing now that if there was any collusion with Russia, it was between the DNC and the Clintons and certainly not our campaign. It's a way more fun week, I think, to be the press secretary, White House press secretary this week than some other weeks. That much is for sure. She's kind of like, you know, sometimes you could tell Sarah Sanders is to get up there and it's like, all right, I know the Trump tweet, you know, and, and she, look, she does a good job. She rolls up the sleeves and she makes it happen. Also, uh, Heather Nauert has been given some interviews this week. She's a phenomenal State Department spokesperson, very, very effective for the administration. So I've been saying two of the best communicators in the administration and really two of the most prominent people in the administration are both women, which I, I just think that, you know, maybe that deserves a little attention from the media. But anyway, uh, Nauert and Sanders do a phenomenal job. Uh, but And, and I, I will say, and, you know, producer Amy was an early uh, an early supporter of the skills of, of Sarah Sanders from the podium. I was a little... I don't know about this, but she's she's actually risen risen to the challenge pretty well. But yeah, some weeks it's like she knows it's going to be tough up there, and this week she's up there cracking knuckles and being like, "Who wants a piece? You know, who wants to go? Who wants to see they can bring it to Sarah Sanders up at the podium?" And uh, it's been a good week for the Trump administration. Three percent growth, by the way, despite all the terrible storms. So why now the fixation on the uranium one deal? Well, the, first of all, the president's not worried about uranium one. The people who should be worried about uranium one are the people who benefited from it. He Question. wants the informant. Un- yeah, he wants no. the informant to be able to testify. So clearly, he has some interest in what went on with the uranium one deal. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't we all? I mean, CNN is so vested in Russia, Russia, Russia. Don't you want to hear from everybody now? Or are we just going to drop the word Russia forevermore now well, because it gets just a little too close I mean, to the woman who ran last time, won't say her name, and oh, DNC? So then why, why is he uncomfortable with the uranium one deal? 
He's not. Listen, you're saying the president's uncomfortable. He didn't make a half a million dollar speech in Russia. He did, he wasn't he's the president when Russia's trying to get an advantage. He's been talking about it a lot. We're I'm just trying to get to the bottom. Don't you want to know it as an American? What it is that's bothering you about it? What bothers you about it? Zero. What bothers me about it is that we can't get all of you who have been obsessed about Russia, Russia, Russia huh? to cover it now that the shoe is on the other foot. Oh my! Yes, Kellyanne Conway having some fun there on CNN at CNN's expense. Here's what the Uranium One story definitely tells us or reminds us uh, about. Here's what we 100% can look at Uranium One and say, "Oh yeah, that's that's the that's a thing that is there." Uh, one, the. Clinton Foundation corruption was not only staggering in its scope, but it was something that the media pretended and and had to really feign a a a level of stupidity that even some of the the dimmer bulbs in the mainstream media, I think, were were having to pretend a little bit. This notion of, oh, yeah, you know, they've raised uh, they've raised all this money. And they're getting paid so much money for speeches. And it's really about it's really about charity. That there's no influence peddling going on that this was now you could say, well, why do we care about that? Because the same media that a year ago, literally one year ago, exactly in particular, was acting like there was nothing to see here with any of the Hillary stuff. Is now telling us that they're. Just straight shooters, straight down the middle journalists that have no bias and are just trying just trying to get to the truth on Russia. I mean, do you remember all the sanctimonious like it's a matter of national security to find out whether Russia hacked the election? And now we look around, and we go, OK, so let's 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 do this then. Let's find out. They go, oh, no, no, I don't I don't I wasn't serious. I didn't really mean it. And so that's w- one thing is just the the nature of the Clinton corruption and how it was. It's just so obvious, right? It's, I mean, it's as bad as, in some ways, the Menendez corruption for Senator Menendez from New Jersey, which is, uh, how many news stories have you seen on that recently, Tyrone? Not a lot. Yeah, a story. A story. This guy's, this guy is running around spending all kinds of money, or really his, his benefactor, his donor, his bribe giver, Spending all kinds of money from his $90 million Medicare uh, scam fraud and flying in, you know, international, like the International Babe Brigade and on private jets. And no one in the media finds this interesting at all. This is going to go in the file of like they're going to eventually, if he's found guilty, they're going to report it and and they're going to act like they've been covering this all along. But, But they have not. They have gone... Pretty much radio silent on Menendez. But anyway, with uh, Clinton, we saw that they didn't want to cover that story. And, and it was, it just, you, you couldn't look at the facts of the, you couldn't look at the facts as presented and, and think anything other than, wow, the Clintons ran a giant pay for play uh, slush fund. And they just, they used a facade of charity for legalized bribery. And again, why does this matter now? Because. One, that same Democrat Party apparatus is now claiming that they're like the good governance people. And if Trump is so terrible and they'd be doing such a better job. So you got to start with that. But also many of the exact same individuals and and organizations 
that were pretending that was no big deal are now telling us that the Russia-Trump collusion is DEFCON 1. And the other part of this, so that was like, that was, that was part A. Part B to this is Russia's been doing shady stuff in this country for a long time. Nothing new. Nothing new there. And the pretense that it is new tells us a lot about how much this current uh, narrative about Russia and all this stuff is driven by a political agenda and not by the facts as presented. So with all that said, with all that in mind, and just taking a moment to uh, enjoy that the mainstream media has had, a, has had a tough week with the Fusion GPS stuff, it has been fun watching them go on TV and write articles to say, well, yeah, so the DNC may have funded the actual document that was then used for all this stuff, including intelligence community reporting and an intelligence briefing with the president, the FBI, and media newsrooms were all over this. It, it may have been a, a Hillary Clinton information operation in conjunction with the Russians and then an assist from the intelligence community. That's pretty intense stuff. That is, uh, that's got a wow factor to it. Um, so the media's had a tough week with that. And, but now you have another possible uh, shoe to drop or uh, the, the next major media battlefield is Mueller, and this is up on Fox News, Mueller facing new Republican pressure to resign in the Russia probe. Now, let me say that if, in fact, Mueller did resign or was asked to resign, i.e. if he was fired, the press would go completely ballistic. They, I mean, it would, you would see multimillionaire news anchors cry on TV more than they currently do for no apparent reason. I mean, you would see a lot of stuff happening. But I, I have to say that if you if you give it a fair hearing, if you read the evidence for a Mueller conflict of interest in this whole situation, it's very real. <laughs> and I know it's, you know, this is playing with some some fissile material. This is not stuff that you could just assume to uh, assume you could go through with and there wouldn't be major ramifications. But I, I do think, I do think that there is a very real possibility uh, that this is going to get some, this, there's, there's going to be more put into this now than there was in the past. The notion of Mueller with his special counsel probe looking into all this different stuff, maybe the probe continues, but Mueller's not allowed to run it? I, I don't know. And, you know, I should note that may not be that much better for those of us who are worried about politicization because all the people that Mueller has brought on from what we've seen, they're Democrats. They say, oh, no, they're prosecutors or lawyers. They're Democrats. And they want to make names for themselves. There's an there's enormous incentive for some of these individuals, for some of these people uh, who are tied into the Mueller investigation to get, get a scalp here, to put points up on the board. So I'm not sure. I mean, for those of us who are hoping that nothing really, again, if if they, you know, if Manafort gets jammed up, Manafort gets jammed up. He may not be the only one, but that's the one that I've always thought is the most likely. I think that's pretty conventional wisdom. 
But, you know, for those of us who think that this is unfair and that the way this is falling on the Trump administration and it's meant to slow them down, all the problems it's causing, and, and it's not right, just getting rid of Mueller, if, unless it shut down the whole probe, which is as, as another way the discussion could go, but unless it shut down the whole probe, I got to say, you're just going to have another pro, you're going to have a pro-Hillary partisan who takes, takes over and is able to push the, uh, push the direction of the investigation as he or she sees fit. One other thing that, with this, the possibility now. It's the main story on Fox News right now. So it, you're going to see more talk about this. And I, I think there's a very legitimate, look, Comey, the Comey is all involved in this. Comey and Mueller are way too tight. I mean, there are real conflicts of interest here. No, no, It's just a question of are the conflicts of interest so severe that it is worth or it is the right thing uh, to do to have Mueller step down because of them, given that there will be just shockwaves of outrage throughout the media and a lot of other places. But the last person before Mueller that I read so many, uh, like, hagiographies of, I mean, just uh, amazing, so trustworthy, public servant, incorruptible, all about the facts. The last person before Mueller that I read those kinds of stories about was James Comey. And they didn't last all that long. They only lasted so long as James Comey was doing the bidding. Well, I shouldn't say the bidding. Was doing a favor, a solid, whether he wanted to or not, for Hillary Clinton and her prospects for the presidency. And then we saw Comey releasing documents to the New York Times and the leak, and we saw that he's a, he's a political player. Of course he was a political player. Mueller is a political player, everybody. We know this. We know this. So what to do about it? Well, I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple of Trump tweets this weekend about how, you know, Mueller totally biased, so close with Comey, sad, exclamation point, unfair, exclamation point. You know, something like that. I that, And then next week, because I, I can see that now... Given if you want to, let's just look at this from a, a pure power politics viewpoint, right? If you wanted to consolidate the gains, and I, I know I'm thinking about this in very zero sum terms, but hey, if you want to consolidate the gains this week from pushing back against the Russian narrative with the fusion GPS funded by Hillary and the DNC narrative, a great way to do that and, and to capitalize on that and to consolidate the gains. Uh, would be to turn next week into this whole Russia probe is a joke. Shut it down. I, I just right if if you were if you were directing this effort and and your only goal because you truly believed as I do that there's nothing to this investigation that it's a witch hunt that it's unfair and that this never should have happened in the first place and that prosecutorial discretion runs both ways certainly ran both ways for Hillary Clinton right. So if you believe all that and you were trying to stop this thing or at least force it to become uh, less blatantly partisan in its implementation, I think that getting making this about going for the full investigation we shut down is probably too much. But saying that Mueller needs to recuse himself, needs to resign, step down, that I can see.
And that would make some sense to me. So we may be going there, everybody, and just get that. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head that is a, a likely political fight that would mirror the ferocity that that would ignite would be about an open Supreme Court seat. I mean, then you'll see Democrats just those be completely losing it with the Trump administration, with a Trump presidency and, and an open Supreme Court seat. It would get it would get ugly out there in, in uh, political and media world fast. But in the short term, in the more immediate term, if you have Mueller get pressure to step down and if the DOJ were to say, you know what, you need to as a con- I don't think they could shut down the whole thing. I will say that's too far. But if they get Mueller to step down because of the conflict of interest, oh man, I don't even I don't even know what would happen. I think there'd be like uh, work stoppages in a lot of them in a lot of the media outlets. They just wouldn't be able to go to work. They'd be so traumatized. Uh, all right, hitting a break here. We're gonna have uh, JFK talk in the next hour. We're gonna talk about the released documents, also some updates on the NFL. And the Trump administration's approach to the opioid epidemic. Third hour, some updates on the sexual harassment cases that are out there. And uh, going to talk to you about cartel stuff and some Team Box Speaks and your calls in the meantime, too. So let me roll into this break and we will be right back. Debbie Wasserman Schultz and John Podesta are saying they didn't know about this dossier uh, they don't know uh, who, who authorized it. They should know now. Maybe they didn't know when they testified in front of Congress, but they should have gone back to their organizations now and said, who gave the authorization for this law firm to employ Fusion GPS and get this dossier going? Uh, I bet they have the answers to those questions. They should as the head of those organizations. Why did they lie about right. it for a year, and why weren't they transparent? The RNC does opposition research all the time, right? We do. Yeah, we do it in-house. We hire outside vendors. You ever use Russian groups? No, we've never <laughs> used a Russian group. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'd know about it as RNC chair if we did. I, I still need someone to explain to me how it is that we've like created this new law that's not a law, which is that you can't get information from a foreigner that affects U.S. politics. Um, let, me, let me just put this out there. For example, let's say, um, well, I was going to say, let's say that somebody was running for president and there were accusations of grotesque sexual behavior abroad would it be and that's what was in the dossier so that's not even really a hypothetical right but you're going to tell me that you can't get information from foreigners well people say no no buck the dossier that's where they got it okay fine but then why was it such a problem when donald trump jr sat down with a woman in trump tower remember and that was on u.s soil she's a foreigner you can't get information from foreigners well this whole this whole thing is clearly just riddled with lies still. Right? And, and there's a lot of information that we don't know. And I think uh, they're, they're going to have to dig in on this now. You know, I wish and I, I will just say this because it's Friday and I'm I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm feeling kind of spunky right now. Um, but I, I wish that we could actually spend more time as a country right now on the political issues that matter as it pertains to our day-to-day lives. But instead, the Democrat Party wanted to make the primary focus of the president's first year in office his political survival as determined by legal processes and investigations. And that swings both ways, as I've been saying. This is not something that 
they are going to like, I think, when it's all, when all said and done, I believe Democrats are going to wish that they had been less focused on trying to uh, litigate into disintegration the administration. That's what I think. Um, and, and that's what we see the beginnings of right now. Uh, I also think that, you know, if if fake news kind of stung before as a as an epithet against some media organizations, once we get to the bottom of the whole Russia uh, collusion nonsense, people will not this. Uh, you'll have a whole generation that won't be able to look at media quite the same way. You will have well, multiple generations, I suppose. But for there will be a whole era in which we will probably break up into overtly partisan news outlets. There will be no more pretense of, yeah, you know, we're just we're just journalists, man. We're just telling people the stuff. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, but the Oppo research, the Oppo research. Here we are. It's a year later. Who would have thought that a year ago or a year from last summer, uh, last fall, we would be in a situation where what was happening then is still the top, you know, at <laughs> the top of the news cycle. It's kind of astonishing. The JFK files, the release of them, what is out there for the public and what is not and why. We'll get into that and much more coming up here in the next hour. The JFK docs have been released, mostly. There are still redactions in them. I know I mentioned this to you yesterday, and some people people are... Uh, pointing out that this seems a little bit a little bit strange, uh, including MSNBC's own Rachel Maddow. You know what? They blew it. We sort of knew they, at least as an abstract matter, we sort of knew they might blow it. Sort of expected that. Even though I know better, it seemed for a second like, okay, maybe this thing is a priority for them. Maybe this one means so much to them that this one, on this one thing, they will actually get it done. They did not get it done. I should have known. Maybe the dog ate it. <laughs> but it uh, wasn't ready to go. Ms. Maddow is uh, not believing the official line from the federal government so far that there are uh, reasons, good reasons, for us, uh, for us to not see everything that has been uh, released thus far, or not see everything that they have, for never mind what's been released, not see everything that they have when it comes to the JFK files. Now, I will tell you that having spent some time in the secret part of the federal government, or the part of the federal government that deals with secrecy, that there are different reasons why the government won't tell you certain stuff, right? There are different explanations that are given or or rather different explanations that I will give you because there's what the government will tell you and then there's what I'm going to tell you right now, which is that sometimes government secrecy is very much warranted, right? When it comes to the names of uh, people that are uh, informants for different federal agencies, people who work for in some in some capacities, right? And a lot of people work for the federal government. It's totally out in the open, but some people, uh, were, and I'm talking about the national security side, right? We, the Department of Agriculture doesn't really come into effect here, although the secret, uh, super secret squirrel, sweet potato, SWAT team 
I just made that up, but that sounds, you know, that might be a thing, right? I'm sure Department of Agriculture has got some door kickers, you know? They're like, excuse me, sir, did you or did you not meet your corn quota for this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what Department of Agriculture would get mad at people about and kicking the doors, but I'm sure they would for something, right? So there's probably a Monsanto conspiracy in here somewhere that I'm not picking up on right away. Monsanto, I mean, what they're putting, what they're putting. I got to stop. I'm giving that guy too much. uh, (laughs) It's going to look like I'm way too fond of. It's it's a great character. It's great performance theater, I have to say. I mean, it's up there with, uh, it's actually better than a lot of the performance theater you see on TV. But Monsanto, yeah, back to JFK Files. The reasons are that there's, there's real secrecy, which can be needed sometimes. And that's what the government's saying. The government is saying that some of these, Documents. There's hundreds of thousands of pages. It's a few thousand documents, but it's hundreds of thousands of pages in total. So no one's read through all of this. And uh, the most interesting stuff that I've heard talked about so far is not particularly interesting. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. And we'll have an expert joining as well to uh, who knows more about the JFK. I-, I was just asked on Cavuto show earlier today. Do you think that it was do you think that Oswald did it himself or were there? I feel like Oswald obviously had connections to the communist underworld. And, and I know some of you are like, Buck and the mafia and Cuba and there's all this stuff. But I tend to go with the Occam's razor explanation for these things. And I, I think that Oswald probably – I think he probably did do it himself, meaning I don't think there was some other shooter or more shooters. Was there possibly someone who was encouraging him to do this and, and maybe facilitating it up to the event in some way? From the communist Soviet underworld, uh, yeah, sure, I could, I could believe that. But all this stuff, because I, I looked up some of the conspiracy theories last night, because I know some of you are listening. You're like, "Buck, come on!" It's like the one time, probably in the next ten, twenty years, that it's really necessary to be up on your JFK, consp- JFK assassination conspiracy theories. So I looked at them, and yeah, there's people say that there's uh, there's problems with the bullet fragments. Uh, people say, I'm trying to remember all the different ones. I mean, it was a little weird that Jack Ruby decided to just take this guy out just just because he was so upset. I mean, that is, you know, I, I, there was some stuff that I learned that I was I was going back. I remember learning about this in school, but as I was reading, I was, yeah, there's there's some things that are a little little strange. Um, and uh, just the, the fact, though, when you go back in time, the fact that there is uh, that there was a, a period when they would publicize a president's route and send him in a thin skinned vehicle with the top open. It's amazing. Now, when a president goes somewhere, it's like an invasion comes with him. Right. Whenever the president's anywhere, you know, it's a it's like a battalion sized force that travels with the president in the United States. So. They have changed dramatically the security procedures. I think Kennedy was the fourth president to have been assassinated. I think that's right. And obviously Lincoln, Garfield, McKin- yep, Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, Kennedy. Bam. Off. I, I, that actually was off the top of, uh, of my head, just for, the, just for those of you listening. Ty can confirm. Amy, too, although she's busy doing something else right this second. But yeah, so uh, the conspiracies, I read through some of them. I still think that Oswald probably did it himself. But the, the reasons for the, or, you know, Oswald was a, was a lone shooter. Uh, but the reasons for the secrecy could also be the embarrassing stuff, right? That governments love to hide their ineptitude. Governments love to hide when they are uh, caught unawares on something or when they just look like they 
should have known more. And so that's a very distinct possibility with some of these redactions because it's been a really long time. Uh, You know, they're saying that there are names in there that are not names that should get out, meaning U.S. government names or people that work um, as assets for the U.S. government. Or That was in the official statement that came out today from Langley, from what I read on ABC News. Okay, but... You know, I don't know. I mean, how much of a how much of a risk is it really? I mean, is anyone really going to be going through like the retirement home to try to find some of these guys? I mean, maybe. I, I guess. I, look, I don't know what's in there. So I'm. There's a lot of spitballing that's going on here right now. A lot of surmising. A lot of assuming. Uh, but we will have somebody joining to to get into a little more of what what may be in these documents and also what some of the unanswered. Questions are when it comes to all things uh, JFK assassination. Um, it is an incredible historical event. I mean, I really went back and, and read up on it last night as I was going through the conspiracy theories as well. The conspiracy theories are, make for very interesting viewing and reading, and that is for sure. Uh, but it's it's incredible. I mean, it's terrible. It's really a deeply tragic, sad day for America. Um, it's also incredible in the sense of hard to believe it is it is almost unbelievable that that happened you know e- even this many decades later that that could have happened and it certainly did uh, and we have it on video you watch the video the video is the video is haunting um but we will have an expert joining us on this and we have much more show coming your way so we will be right back all right, welcome back, team. I gave you some of my thoughts before about what's going on with uh, the JFK files but I'm I'm a, a a highly ranked amateur at best in this business of JFK stuff. In fact, I think highly ranked is giving me way too much credit. I'm an amateur in the JFK sleuthing. We've got somebody who actually studies this and is going to tell you what we can uh, glean from what's been released and what may be coming out in the future. Dr. Barbara Perry is with us. She is a presidential studies director at UVA's Miller Center. Dr. Perry, great to have you. Great to be with you. Okay, so what has happened here? What do we know so far? What we know so far is that there's not apparently a smoking gun contained in these documents, but oh wait, there was a smoking gun. It was Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle that practically was still smoking when they found it in the Texas School Book Depository with his handprints on it that he had ordered through the mail. (laughs) But I guess you know by now I'm not a conspiracy theorist. So uh, having said that up front, what do we know from this tranche that came out yesterday, uh, which is yet again more information but not all of the information, and we will probably never have all the information. We'll talk about that later. So what is this? I, I describe it as a time capsule. Um, to me, it's more than a time capsule of the Kennedy assassination, though it is that. It's a time capsule of the Cold War and Cold War espionage. So I cannot say that I've gone through all 2,800 of the documents in the last 24 hours, but I've gone through a fair number of them. And so what you see is leading up to the assassination, you see page after page after page of people who threatened to kill the president or people who were potential assassins, including Puerto Rican nationalists, who, by the way, had tried to assassinate President Truman in the 1950s. You see members of the KKK who are listed. So you get this whole sense that it wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald that the FBI and the Secret Service had to be concerned about, and they were. 
her, uh, but it was hun- literally hundreds of other people leading up to the assassination. And then afterwards, it boggles the mind the number of people, informants, who were talked to by the FBI particularly afterwards. And they range from everybody from someone who said, yeah, I was drunk and in a bar in New Orleans uh, a few weeks before the assassination, and another drunk guy was taking bets that Kennedy would be dead in three weeks. Well, I can't, I don't remember what he looked like, and I was too drunk to remember, and I don't even remember the bar that I was in. Those are the kinds of things that are in there. And how one would even begin to line draw on the ultimate answer to who killed John Kennedy is beyond me. But What's this about L- LBJ? I, I saw this reported in, in The Hill uh, that LBJ thought Kennedy assassination was payback for the assassination of Vietnam president. Yes. Well, this is utterly fascinating. Here at the Miller Center, we do um, editing and annotating and analyzing of all of the secret White House tapes. And one of the secret White House tapes uh, is John Kennedy, three weeks before his own assassination, talking into a dictaphone about his impressions that that GM, the president of Vietnam, has just been assassinated, and Kennedy realizes it's because his administration has given the okay to do that, and that he's shocked that it would go that far. Uh, and so there are people who thought, including Johnson apparently, that this could have been payback in some way. Again, all Cold War politics, if you watch the Ken Burns series, it was all about the Cold War, Vietnam was. And so that's another slice of this Cold War layering. And that doesn't even include the Soviets, the Chinese, and the Cubans. What can you tell us about the possible, uh, or I, I don't know if this is, well, people, people have said that the CIA was considering using the mafia to kill Castro. Oh, yes. Yes, that, that is very well known up to this point as well. But there are some more documents that I came across last night. And people, if they, they don't know about this, uh, will want to Google Mongoose. So Operation Mongoose was the, um, the secret program in the Kennedy administration to try to take out Castro. However, having just said that, of course, it was a program uh, of trying to eliminate Castro, uh, if not by assassination, certainly by invasion and taking him out as the head of Cuba, that idea was started in the Eisenhower administration. So it wasn't just the Kennedy administration, but the Kennedys really locked in after the failure at the Bay of Pigs and after the possibility that we would have been in a nuclear conflagration with the Cubans by virtue of the Soviet missiles there in the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Kennedys redoubled their efforts to try to take out Castro. So there have always been stories about that possibility. What were some of the wackiest versions of the attempt that could have been made or that they were thinking about making on Castro? Because I've, I've heard some stuff about some things. Oh, uh, my favorite is the exploding cigar. Uh, they were hoping to get exploding cigars into the hands of Castro. And and by the way, what was so fascinating, uh, as, as we pointed out about this, is is that it also then involved the mob, because the mob was so entrenched in Cuba prior to Castro's take, taking over with the Marxist regime and chucking out all of the mob. So the mob didn't want Castro there. They wanted to go back to the old days when Batista, <laughs> the right-wing dictator propped up by the United States, was there. Uh, and so there were... There were issues about the CIA 
getting with the mob to go in and take out Castro through things like exploding cigars, but also through an invasion at the Bay of Pigs uh, that Kennedy gave the final okay to, whereby the CIA had trained in Guatemala Cuban freedom fighters to the tune of a 1,000 or 1,100 of them and then shipped them into the Bay of Pigs, but Kennedy didn't give enough air cover to make it successful. Castro knew about it and was waiting there for the invaders. We've got Dr. Barbara Perry online. She's a presidential studies director at UVA's Miller Center. Uh, Dr. Perry, before before I uh, I toss the, the one question your way that I just got asked before on, on national TV about the JFK assassination, let me ask you this. What are the uh, what are the lingering questions that aren't in the realm of conspiracy, but are in the realm of we really would like to know what happened there? I think it's what's left in the CIA and FBI and maybe Secret Service documents uh, that are extant. Uh, we believe that some of those documents, particularly the Secret Service documents, but also CIA documents, were, ha- were actually destroyed uh, in the wake of the assassination. And therefore, we will never know what those contained, and therefore we may never have all the answers. Uh, but what we are hoping to see come April will be those documents that yesterday the CIA and the FBI asked not to be revealed. We hope those will be revealed in, in April. And, and what will they tell us? In, in my view, what, will, what they will tell us is that Lee Harvey Oswald was the shooter who took out the president and I believe was the sole shooter. That puts me in a minority of the American people who think that there was a conspiracy. That's oh, I just went on TV and said was. that I thought he was, the, but that was just mostly going with my gut and what I've read on this, but I don't follow it that yeah. closely. Right. So I think that uh, will we ever find out if there for certain was a conspiracy and who it was engaged in it? I think the answer to that is no. And because we won't ever have that with certitude, there will always be these lingering questions. And the human mind tends to go down that conspiracy road. Uh, and so I think that as long as there is a world, there will be conspiracy. Are there some the are there some uh, urban legends about this that you could point to and say, I know everybody says this, but that's actually just not what the facts show. I mean, because I've. <laughs> Bullet fragments I read something about. There are a few things. Yeah, so, well, one that I came across today that they found in the documentation that I wouldn't say is an urban legend or that everyone knows it, but I think it's one of the wackiest, is that Officer J.D. Tippett, who was killed by Oswald as he ran from the scene of the assassination, uh, there is a document that indicates that, oh, there was a conspiracy and Tippett actually assassinated the president and therefore had to be killed and that he was killed by Jack Ruby. And the finding, uh, finding Oswald at the theater, what's the explanation for that? Oh, simply that uh, I remember as a kid, you know, they always said John Wilkes Booth assassinated Lincoln in a theater and ran to a warehouse where he was ultimately killed. Uh, Oswald shot from a warehouse and ran to a theater. So he just was running to running from not only having just assassinated the president, but running from his murder of J.D. Tippett, the police officer who saw him, realized he fit the description of the assassin and tried to pull him over. He was walking on the street, tried to pull over to him and Oswald just shot him in, in cold blood, and, and then he ran to the theater. And then someone in the theater just happened to realize what was going on here? Or? Someone, saw, someone saw him running in to the theater, and he matched the description that was being put out in an all-points bulletin. Uh, and so police officers went running in. And by the way, he reached for his pistol, with which he had just shot Officer Tippett, and tried to take out the two police officers who wrestled him to the ground, but they ultimately did. Dr. Perry, what is your, you what is your level of confidence, if I may ask you on a percentage basis, what is your level of confidence that Oswald was a lone shooter and there was no conspiracy in this assassination? 
mine is 90%. Okay. Going with 90%. We'll take it. Well, Dr. Perry, we really appreciate you joining us. Dr. Barbara Perry is the Presidential Studies Director at UVA's Miller Center. Uh, Miller Center, how do people go learn more? Oh, absolutely. MillerCenter.org, www.millercenter.org, and you will find a treasure trove of information about all presidents. All right, Doc. Thanks so much. Great to have you on. You too, Buck. I enjoyed it. And uh, so, team, we're going to be getting into some, because uh, it's Friday, so we got a lot of topics here. We are going to be uh, jumping into some uh, discussion of the NFL this week, which I haven't talked to yet on the show, but we've got an, an expert sports analyst who just happens to be part of the Freedom Hut crew, happens to work on this show, Tyrone. He'll be talking to us about uh, some very interesting stuff that's going on in the NFL. Kaepernick, kneeling, owner feuds, all kinds of stuff. We're going to hit on all that. So that is coming up. Uh, we'll also be joined by an expert uh, we've had before who's just fantastic in terms of her knowledge on the subject of how to combat the uh, opioid epidemic in this country after that big speech yesterday. We'll have some Team Buck Speaks coming up. A lot of show. And, of course, your calls, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. All right, the president gave a major speech uh, yesterday on the opioid epidemic, and he declared it a national health emergency. Uh, what were the most important takeaways from that? We have an expert to join us now on that topic. Dr. Bertha Madras is with us. She's a professor of psychobiology in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She is a former deputy director for demand reduction in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. And uh, her research focuses on the relevance of dopamine <coughs> signaling to addiction biology. Dr. Madras, great to have you. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you. So tell me, what were the, what were the most important uh, takeaways in terms of what, what now happens after the president gives the speech, declares that it is a national emergency? He said they're going to do some things. What will change? What's important here? I think the most important thing is the tone he set for the country. That's first of all. I think it was one of the speeches I've been waiting 50 years to hear from a president, and that is that we have to approach this problem from the point of view prevention, intervention, and treatment, and supply reduction. He covered every single base that I think is essential to combating the opioid crisis, as well as addiction in general in our country. Now, that's the general theme, and he said using drugs amongst adolescents is simply a bad choice, a bad decision. So I thought he touched on just about every single piece of the entire uh, drug use and addiction policy issues that have been uh, problematic in our country. Now, specifically, he touched on everything on um, reducing the supply, which is not necessarily uh, only law enforcement, but prevention includes reducing prescription opioids. It includes uh, interdicting with um, the heroin supplies as well as fentanyl from Mexico, from China. He touched on improving treatment, but he also touched very, I thought, very humanely and compassionately on treatment for people who are generally not considered um, in, in, in the whole array of, of uh, responsibilities, and that is treatment for prisoners, drug courts, treatment for pregnant women, for families that have an addiction. 
I think he touched just about every single base, um, and and obviously reducing prescriptions is part of it. What has to change specifically on the issue of prescriptions? Because I know that uh, there were a lot of a lot of folks who are political analysts who heard that speech, and their one of their big reactions had to do with. Uh, dealing with the, the criminal justice side of this, whether it's the wall, immigration, drug cartels, drug smuggling, drug dealing, all of that. But on the prescription drug side, which is a big part, and we've talked to you about this before, Dr. Uh, Madras, a big part of this problem, what changes have to be made there? Yeah, well, let, let me just go back for one moment. If you analyze the speech and the length of the speech, his time spent on the wall and all this was very minimal. People just heard what they wanted to hear. <laughs> so in terms of uh, prescription oversupply, uh, the, our commission report, which I can't really speak at, um, specifically on because it's on close hold until it's released on November the 1st, <coughs> next Wednesday, but there are clearly a number of steps that are being taken um, to uh, reduce uh, prescription opioids. And, and among those are looking at how we got here. We got here because insurers uh, approved prescription opioids liberally, um, but put stumbling blocks into approving medications for um, addiction. Um, they put stumbling blocks into approving treatment. So we have to be concerned about the insurers. We have to be concerned about physician education, which is a very critical piece. Dr. Madras, one thing he did, the president did mention, was non-addictive painkillers as a a possible way to deal with the help deal with the problem. Is that are they are there versions that are as effective? I mean, is that really an option that will have a, a major impact? Well, there. Many non uh, non opioid non addictive painkillers on the market today, and, and a number of them are over the counter. Uh, you know the NSAIDs, the non steroidal anti inflammatory. Right, drugs but if somebody's had major serious. surgery or they're in a lot of back pain, usually Tylenol they'll tell you doesn't get it done. Right. right. So are there other things there, that are equivalent to? There, there are other things such as uh, medical devices that interfere with pain pathways. And we also, um, there, there's a very uh, strong push and energy towards developing uh, public-private partnerships with pharmaceutical companies to explore all the other different targets that you can use to alleviate pain. And there are a number of them that have not been widely explored because there has been such a, um, you know, concerned concern a concentrated effort on opioids. Now we're changing that. We're looking at other receptors, other targets that may produce a very effective pain relief uh, without opioids. And even if you need opioids, why use a 30-day supply if only a two- or three-day supply is necessary? Dr. Bertha Madras, uh, professor of psychobiology at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Psychiatry. Uh, Dr. Madras, please come back after that report's release. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise yes. today. I'll be able to give you a lot more once we're released. There are so many recommendations, and it's, it, it reflects how complex the problem is. But I do think that it will cover as many issues as we can possibly do at the present time.
All this right. is an ongoing process. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Dr. Madras. Have a good weekend. Right-o. So, yeah, it's, look, the, the, the doctor was in the house just there, so to speak, and she's saying that the Trump speech yesterday, as, as I said here on the show, Trump speech was, was very strong. And I, I think that this is an area where we have seen a lot of, uh, I think, more enlightened and fact-based approaches in recent years to the whole notion of addiction, the drug war, all of this, right? We're getting better as a society at understanding this and dealing with this. Uh, it's not, you know, quite as much of like, you know, if you smoke weed, your nose is going to fall off. You know, I mean, that doesn't really help. Uh, and I think that things have things have changed now and everyone understands, one, the seriousness, the impact on on uh, on families and across the country, the the casualty right now from specifically opioids, but also because of the changes in marijuana policy and the way that we are coming at this from a more more holistic perspective. I just think that we're we're in better shape to to deal with this. I mean, it would have been the best scenario would have been to never get to this crisis point with opioids, of course. But at least now, I think we have some better tools. Uh, as a country and as part of the national conversation to tackle this. And uh, Trump's all over it. So we will see. And we'll come back. We'll talk about the NFL in just a few. All right. We are in the midst of a Freestyle Friday, which means that, yes, we have action movie quotes. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about and uh, a lot on our minds. And we also have a very uh, particular asset, a, a sports analyst par excellence, the one and only Tyrone, who is with me all the time here, helping every aspect of the show, but he also is going to weigh in now on all things, particularly NFL from this week. Tyrone, good to have you back, sir. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, it was a interesting week in the NFL and had nothing to do with the actual product. I, I, I have n- not touched on this at all, as you know, because you're here with me, so... Bring everybody, including me, up to speed on what happened. I've seen some headlines, right? Some Kaepernick stuff, some other. But but what was interesting that happened in the world of sports that ties into the world of politics this week? Well, this past week, there was a big, a week ago, there was a big meeting in New York with the players and some of the owners and the commissioner. And now some pieces from journalists who are allowed in the room have come out. And the biggest thing is that the Houston, Texas, Texans owner said that as far as the anthem protest, that they can't let the inmates run the prison. Not inmates run the asylum, the common phrase. It was we can't let the inmates run the prison. And a lot of people, a lot of players, and actually some other owners were very upset about it, including Bob Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots. Now, are we just going to skip past the possibility that he got the saying wrong? I mean, do you think it was a conscious decision to say prison instead of asylum? Or you know how sometimes people say... You know, I, I remember I heard a, a lady once who English wasn't her foreign language, and she was worried about a disease lying doormat in her system, right? I mean, you know, people make mistakes, but she was a foreigner. This guy's clearly not a foreigner, but maybe he got the phrase wrong, but you don't think so. No, he very well may have. The issue is, and this is the thing that I think um, people have to realize outside of, make it to just your job. Let's forget that they're NFL players. The bosses in the NFL and their labor force have a terrible relationship. The worst by far, of all major sports in America. Why is that? It's because the NFL is the only, they're the only players with no guarantee contract, and they're the only ones that, in ways, and having been in locker rooms, at times, they're treated like cattle. They're well, well-paid cattle, but they're here today, going tomorrow, and generally, 
they're just thrown out to pasture. The other thing is while they're well paid and the average salary is a little over 400000 the minimum salary is a little over $400,000 now, the average career is only two years, and 80% of NFL players go broke after they play. So there's a feeling that they come in, get injured, because very few football players walk well, separate from the CTE and issues like that, after they're finished playing. And the thinking is no one within those organizations care about their labor force whatsoever. So you're saying it's a co- the moment you're talking NFL owners and players, and this is even apart from kneeling and anthems, and right. it's a combustible situation. Absolutely. And then you pile it on. Trump is, if I think it's fair to say at times, a polarizing figure. I think that's fair to say among many people he's polarizing. It's not so polarizing in the NFL in that 70% of that workforce is Black, 95%, according to most polls, are of black people are not pro-Trump. Almost all the NFL owners are pro-Trump. That's not, And then once Trump says whatever, whatever he says about the NFL, it's now instantly a us versus them moment, no matter what he's talking about. I saw some poll that actually said that, uh, I think it was a Washington Post poll, that said that the anthem protests are still unpopular, but have actually gained in popularity in the last week or two. It, it's weird because I, I could give you a little bit of insight. This past uh, Monday, Monday Night Football, I, and I, the team that I follow the closest in the team where I have some relationships, the Philadelphia Eagles, they have players that have actually tried to make changes. And they don't kneel, for example. But Malcolm Jenkins, Chris Long, who actually has donated his entire year's salary to different educational research to try to bridge this gap, they finished Monday Night Football. I think the game was done at 11.30 p.m., by, they were in Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania, by 8 a.m. Tuesday morning to meet with lawmakers about the situation. I think more and more of the players have done a better job in recent weeks explaining why they're protesting. And most people, I shouldn't say most, some people when they hear the explanation now say, okay, I understand. But the ratings are down. The ratings are absolutely down. Now, and, and it is in some ways anthem related, but... What business do you know? I just want to just give people just take it out of football. What business do you know that's up every single year for 30 consecutive years? No up, no downs, just up for 30 consecutive years. What business ever? The NFL literally made more, got more profitable and ratings increased every year from 1986 to 2015. Every year. They just went up, 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 up. Sooner or later, there was going to be a come down. And the biggest reason is Thursday night football. No one asked for it. It saturated the market. And it's the one thing that football had over all other sports is it was once a week. It was once a week. So no matter how busy your life is, people would have, you know. It was destination viewing, yeah. Once they put those Thursday night games on, it stopped being destination viewing. And that was the biggest reason. Anthems absolutely play a role. But people's football stopped being special when they did Thursday night, the players didn't want it. The fans didn't ask for it, but the owners could get another check, and they did it. Speaking of Tyrone, who's one of the producers here in the Freedom Hut, Tyrone, uh, also the latest. Oh, wait, before I get into Kaepernick, the product this year with football, with the NFL, I haven't been watching, and I'm not going to pretend that it's because of a big political statement, although that factored into my thinking as well. I just have been too busy, and I just haven't been watching it, and Molly doesn't really watch football, so you know that means it's hard for me to take over the TV for three or four hours. Uh, but the product has not been as good this year as what I'm told from friends of mine, meaning that it's just the, the league is in a down year in terms of what the teams are doing on the field. Well, see, and this goes back to the 
player versus owner relationship. Everything's related. It's funny you say that. It used to be if you were drafted high in, in the NFL or wherever you were drafted, you could get paid whatever you negotiated. And what that forced teams to do sometimes was say, okay, I don't want this young player who maybe who will take a few years to develop. I'll keep this veteran player around because I can actually get him cheaper than this young player. The NFL set up this slotted system in which, because they wanted to save money, teams are too young. If you know how to play football and you're around 30 years old and you're not a superstar, they just get rid of you and replace you with a 22-year-old who doesn't really know what's going on, hasn't figured it out, and that's going on and it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger around the league. And that's part of the reason why some of the players who figure, you're going to push me out soon. That's part of the reason that relationship is bad. That there's something to be said for being professional at anything, and that includes sports. And they've set up a system now where it behooves the owners to have cheap labor that isn't as professional because they're just younger. And the middle-class players are now, so now you have superstars and children, and it, it's hurt the level of play. And now Kaepernick, as of this week, what is, what's the cap update? Kaepernick, um, he, that lawsuit's still going ahead. The NFL and the players, because they didn't really come to any agreement the last meeting, what the NFL's looking to do is what the NBA did. Silver was able to say, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, was able to say, yeah, I don't want you to kneel. And not a single NBA player kneeled because they said, you know what? We like this guy. He's t- we're, we're making big money, and we have a good relationship. And it seems like after if pl- NFL, NBA players who have had substance abuse problems, the league will pay for rehab. Their pension system's better. And careers are just longer. So you're able to stay with the team longer just because you're not out in two years. Their relationships are way better. The NFL is trying to cultivate those relationships. They're having another set of meetings, and now it's official. Kaepernick will actually be invited to these meetings. They, he was not invited there, and a lot of players last time were like, how can we have these meetings about anthem protest if you don't have the person who was responsible for anthem protest there? So the biggest update is the lawsuit's continuing. But he is officially invited to the next set of meetings, which I believe will happen the week after Thanksgiving. And he got a book deal, right? He got a book deal worth $1 million. Um, That's a lot for a book deal, everybody. Now, some people have said he won't write the book. I will say this. I'm not talking about his politics. He was a 4.0 student in high school, and he was a 4.0 student in college. Maybe he makes dumb decisions. He's not a dumb guy. If I could do one more thing about the ratings, if if I may. The NFL ratings are down, but we have to recognize that down is relative. And I'll explain. The World Series is happening right now. You have two big markets. You have Los Angeles, huge market. Houston, you got two top 10 markets playing in the World Series. They got an 11 share in their ratings for game two. It was a big extra inning, huge game. And those ratings were up from from last year when the Cubs were in it, and everybody loves the Cubs. A regular Thursday night, regular season football game between the Eagles and Panthers last week, Got a 10-6. Just, so while the ratings are down, a regular season football right. a, a game. A down NFL game is basically like a World Series game. Right. So they're down, but it's all, all relative. relative. They're so much bigger than everybody else. All right. That's Tyrone for you, everybody. Tyrone, as always, my friend, thank you very much for shedding some wisdom and some light on all of this. Thank you. All right, team, we're going to roll into a break. We'll be right back with more of a Freestyle Friday. Stay right there. I had no warning. I remember the lurch when I went to the desk and I said, uh, Mr. Weinstein, is he on the patio? And they said, he's in his room. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But you went up because? I had a business appointment. Which is as that's, you know, his pattern of sexual predation. That was how he rolled. 
I fought with this volley of no's, which he ignored. Who knows? Maybe he heard them as maybe. Maybe he heard them as yeses. Finally, I just said, when I win an Oscar in one of your movies, okay? And he was like, yeah, when you get nominated. I said, no, when I win an Oscar. And then I just fled. That was Ashley Judd on Good Morning America talking about a uh, pretty horrific interaction with uh, now-disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. Um, the stories that have come out on us, and I have not spent much time at all this week on them, even though there's there's now other directors and there's other uh, you know other actors. Yesterday I spoke to you about what I thought was our first, and there will be more. And I, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to be on the lookout. Uh, this mobilization of anti-sexual harassment forces uh, will be used for for good, but it will also, by some, be used as a way of trying to uh, settle scores, to undermine political opponents, to, to take people out from being on the battlefield of ideas. Uh, so just be aware of that. And the even in this new environment, this very sensitive environment that we're in, uh, the leeway that is given to somebody on the right for any kind of sexual harassment or sexual misconduct will be a, a fraction of what is offered up for those on the left. Still, still. But I have to say, there, there has been this part of me as I've been thinking about this, uh, I, I keep seeing the headlines and Stories are so salacious. That's one of the reasons why the media is running with this, because it just you see a, a pull quote from some of these interactions that Harvey Weinstein had with these young women. And you just uh, automatically are like, oh, my gosh. And, and you, you have this impulse to, to click on it right away. Uh, but Weinstein is a, a true predator. And as I was saying to you yesterday, this this span of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault to rape needs to be much more clearly defined when the media is talking about some of this stuff. Because uh, Harvey Weinstein is accused now of many criminal acts over over decades and that he was so powerful and prominent in this industry and at a time when you can find yourself, you know, reading uh, or hearing the actual conversations of public figures uh, because it, everything is all shared and stored. And right in this new digital era, it's like the panopticon, right? The panopticon is this conceptual prison where everybody is in this circle and there's in the center of the panopticon a, a tower with a guard and you can't see in, but there's a guard in the tower and everybody has an open cell around the tower. It's kind of hard to explain. It's much easier, more easy to visualize. The idea being you never know if you're being watched and you have no privacy. So you have to always assume you are being watched uh, by the guards. And and that's really the reality of our modern digital era now. I mean, the last, certainly been the case for the last 10 or 15 years. And in that world where everyone's got phones and cameras, no one said anything. You know, I, I think that, and this is, I know you're like, Buck, we've heard a lot of this. And I think Hollywood is is an industry that is really uh, ready for disruption. And maybe there, there's an argument to be made that the reason that Weinstein is now being fed to the lions in this way, 
And I mean, and rightfully so. But I'm just saying the reason that now everyone's like, oh, and it's all coming out is because Hollywood isn't what it used to be. Maybe that's a part of all of this. Uh, This very uh, self-dealing and who, you know, insular industry that has this global impact. You got to think, why exactly? You know, I think a lot of it has been coasting on legacy and some of the big studios and the big institutions and a lot of the big names, big directors, big actors, all this stuff. That's now in a period where I think it'll change because you can go direct to your audience so much more easily now. And the technology to make really high quality uh, movies, TV shows. I mean, there's more uh, you know, there's there's more amazing TV shows now than at any other period in history. I mean, I think that's that's pretty clear. Uh, but you know, you, you look at what's you look at what's going on with all this and all the different pieces that are happening. Once I just feel like this is, I think Hollywood's actually never really going to be the same. Uh, and I think that the entertainment industry, which is one of the American one of our global exports that is most you know around the world associated with us. I mean, yeah, we've got the most big kick butt military on the planet. But people also think of you know Hollywood and now Silicon Valley, although there are other Silicon Valley clones that are po- that have been popping up for years all over the world, particularly in India and China. Uh, but are the the entertainment industry, which is really also a wing of the Democrat Party, you know, and when you think about it in that context, the propaganda machine is never really going to be quite the same. Uh, their ability. To have a to be influence influencers in the uh, the realm of, of ideas and policy. I don't know if it will. It certainly won't be the same anytime soon, because any you know claim to righteousness and and all that. I, I can barely watch. You know, Molly likes the fashion, so occasionally I'll watch a little bit of the award show with her. And, you know, I got to keep the lady happy. Uh, but you know, you watch these award shows. There's so much self congratulation and oh, I mean they. They're up there on stage. They're all so highly paid and, and so famous, and it's like they're curing cancer, but actually they're just pretending to be people in front of cameras and lecturing us on any number of issues, whether it's race relations, or police violence, the military, Iraq, climate change. I mean, so, so much of particularly the, the, the ignorant voter class, if you will, those who are and other hosts refer to them as uh, what low information voters, but those who are just swept up in the culture in a superficial way are so influenced by this industry that has at the very top people like Harvey Weinstein who were just, I mean, the guy is, it's, ama- it's amazing that one of these incidents was, was kept under wraps. And there's like 50 or 60. Or maybe a hundred. I don't even know now. There's one. Who's the director? To- James Toback, right? There's there's some director right now who there there are. And look, I'm just report. I'm just reporting on the allegations in the media. But there are hundreds, hundreds, over three hundred. Tyrone tells me, over three hundred sexual misconduct, harassment, etc. Allegations from another. You know, this guy is a Academy Award winning. Uh, or Academy Award nominated uh, writer and director. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's so sordid. And it was kept uh, a secret for so long. And for those of us who see, and I'm going to try to tie in some other things here, for those of us who see the the media and 
the effort to create a certain perception of not just Hillary Clinton, and the Democrat Party, but specifically in this issue of Russia, all the stuff that's been coming out. And I think there is an initial impulse that many of us uh, have, which is, well, there's so many people on this and they're professionals and they're, they can't be completely making this stuff up. right? I mean, they, they can't actually be fake news on the biggest, most important issues of our time in such a widespread. Fa- and as I'm saying this, I know you're like, actually, Buck, yes, they can. Yeah, I, I, I know. But, you know, there's that party that wants to believe that we we can't have so we we can't have an industry that's so important with so many people where truth is so debased and devalued so that you really can't trust incredibly powerful narratives because you think that they're they're playing games and you you see that hollywood's ability to suppress these store and it was i mean these actors knew about open secret you keep hearing this open secret you know, it was uh, it was out there and, and yet nobody did anything and no one really said anything. And, you know, the control of the media there was was incredible. It just goes to show you what politicization really is also, you know, what that means and what power, what real power in the media industry looks like. Uh, and and then you, you just transpose the Weinstein effect. And I'm not talking about the sexual harassment aspects of it, although there's that and the sexual misconduct and, and assaults, although that's a part of the news business, too. Uh, but just the ability to suppress what is a major national level story because people that are tasked, who are obligated, who have an ethical obligation to tell that story just won't do it, don't want to do it, don't want to hear it, don't believe it, or are willing to hide it. Uh, With all of that, you just want to stop and think to yourself, you know, what, what is what what is the truth of the whole Russia thing? I mean, we've started to get some and I've been talking to you about it this show and, and continuously on the show. We've seen some very interesting new bits of this puzzle, new pieces in this puzzle. But I think it could get a lot worse. As I said yesterday, um, this this looks like harnessing of the intelligence community to do opposition research on a presidential candidate and it was all started by the democrat party the dnc that's astonishing if you tried to sell that screenplay in hollywood i think they'd say it is not believable Uh, it is it is not something that uh, you could easily sell because people would say that it just doesn't seem realistic Uh, but that increasingly looks like what happens so Anyway, it's just the, 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 the power of political, of suppressing the truth for political reasons uh, or for reasons of power within an industry, both of those things apply. Because keep in mind, we keep, Hollywood is a, and this is why my, I'm jumping back and forth between these two, Hollywood is, for all intents and purposes, it's like a pack for the Democrat Party. It is a leftist political action committee, over, overwhelmingly and clearly. It's the biggest ATM for Democrats running for office, go out to Hollywood, right? And so that it's so sordid and so corrupt and so uh, infected with this immorality and this lack of courage. You can't separate that from the Democratic Party, but you also can't separate if they can keep the Weinstein thing quiet in Hollywood. First of all, they can keep a lot of other stuff quiet there, too, which I think we still may find out more about that. But, uh, you know, more is coming out and a lot more is going to be coming out. But then also on the media side of it. With this, forget about an, an important, powerful director. 
with the Clintons, with Hillary Clinton, who was very much like Weinstein, able to determine the rise and fall of a, of a journalist's career. Very much like Weinstein could be the reason you get hired at a major network, get a big contract, get a... What were journalists willing to do and still willing to do to cover up for the Clintons and for Russia and for... I think the answer is a lot. And I think that if we ever really get the full picture, it is just going to... Uh, it is going to go off like some kind of political nuclear bomb. I mean, it's going to be madness. That's just my sense going into the weekend. We'll hit a quick break here, team. We'll be right back. Separatism in Spain, my friends. Uh, this is this is going to be uh, this is going to get very sticky. Very quickly. It's going to be a tough, a tough situation for Spain. Now, before I talk about Catalonia and what's happening there, let me just first say why do you, it's, it's before you're reading, why do you care? There are two main ways that I think I can make a case for you to care about Catalonia for the, for the short discussion we're going to have here on the show about it. One is, I know you all like to know stuff and I like to know stuff. And so we're just knowing stuff together. So there's, uh, so I guess that's, there's actually three ways. <laughs> um, uh, well, no, we'll call that one of the two because there's a, an interesting philosophical discussion that has to do with when is a group uh, right to say that we are going to separate off and do our own thing. Right? There's an interesting philosophical discussion that is when uh, when are we able to be, you know, when is it the Declaration of Independence versus when is it, you know, Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War, right? I mean, you know, when, which... We, we're, we're a country that's been on both sides of this. Separating is our duty. Whoa, no separation allowed. Sorry, a divided house cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So there's that philosophical aspect of it. And then for those of you who are more like, well, Buck, I want to know how this tangibly could uh, have impact on things. If you are somebody who cares about uh, the stock market, the economy, the uh, way that growth is going to go and and finances are going to go or the financial markets are going to go in Europe, which very much affects us here, this could be uh, contagious, right? Secessionism in Europe could be contagious in that it's not just Catalonia. There are, there's, the, uh, there's the Basque region of Spain. There's, uh, uh, there's some parts of the low countries, the Netherlands and Belgium, and Flanders wants to maybe get its own state going. And, and you could see this breakup into these smaller statelets that, that will have some disruptive effect on the markets. And I do think also that people in this country, and this is what some of you may really care about, may see this and be like, well, look, if Catalonia is able to become its own country, why can't California? And the answer is, so far... Because we say so. We being a majority of the American people in the federal government, and I'm sure a majority of Californians too, if they figured out how much uh, they would be out of luck without the federal government picking up a lot of expenses and the, and the tab for California, I think they would uh, rethink their secessionist impulse, which I know is a very small, but it always comes up, especially after a Republican wins a presidential election. There'll be these stories, you know, California movement to secede or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, it's never never going to happen. It also would mean that Republicans win every national political election for the next you know twenty or thirty years. Uh, but here's what happened in Catalonia, just to update you on the facts of it, and and then we'll talk a little more about 
why you should care. Like I said, this is quick. It's not even a deep dive. This is like a, a plunge in the shallow end of the pool on Catalonia. This is from the uh, Associated or Agence France Press, AFP. Spain was plunged into crisis Friday as Madrid seized power from independence seeking Catalonia, the first curtailment of regional autonomy since the brutal dictatorship of Francisco Franco. Uh, after regional lawmakers voted to declare a Catalan Republic, Spanish Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy uh, moved swiftly to dissolve the rebel government and parliament and called a December 21st election to replace them. In an escalating standoff closely watched by secession-weary Europe, Rajoy fired pro-independence leader Carlos Puigdemont and all his ministers, as well as the director of the regional police and Catalan envoys to Madrid and Brussels to uh, to halt what he termed an escalation of disobedience. Secessionist lawmakers voted 70 to 10 in the 135-member parliament Friday to declare Catalonia a republic in the form of an independent and sovereign state. Now, you know, it's why, why can't they do this? Because the central government says it's not legal. Well, of course, the central government's going to say that, right? Are they, are they declaring that the referendum is null and void because of irregularities or because of coercion, because of pressure? You know, that would be the case with Crimea, which had a referendum, but there was all kinds of symbols and, and uh, all kinds of uh, signifiers of foul play at work there. And, you know, that's that's a whole other part of this discussion. But you can have a sham referendum, but no one's really saying that this is a sham. They're just saying that the Spanish government, at least, is just saying, sorry, you don't you don't get to do this. Uh, this is going to be, you know, the, the the Republic of Pakistan may have to happen. I mean, that would it'd be a fantastic country. Everybody would be required to own an English bulldog and sweatpants would be allowed at all workplaces and, and all formal functions. We would replace uh, office wear with, with sweatpants. So the Republic of Pakistan would be a really fun place. But on, on a, on the serious note here, what happens if the Catalans say, you know what, we're just, no, sorry, Spain, not, not going to play ball on this. Uh, what could the long-term implications be? Nobody, nobody really knows, right? The, the assumption is that you won't have these separatist groups uh, or the assumption has just been that the separatist groups will have to bend to the will of the central government, but maybe not in this case. And what does it mean for Scotland? What does it mean for Flanders? What does it mean for who knows? I wonder what the most likely state right now would be to uh, try and secede if that were to, if there was a poll taken, I'd be curious to see it. Uh, we're going to have a, oh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, cartels, and then I'm going to talk to you about Team Buck Speaks coming right up, so stay with me for that on this Freestyle Friday. You know when you watch a movie and you go back and you watch it a second time and you actually pay attention, you, you get more out of it, or you think that maybe it's a little better than the first time around? Uh, I have been watching uh, Sicario, or I watched Sicario last night, which is a, a movie with Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro and uh, Emily Blunt. And it's all about cartels and U.S.-Mexico border. It's a bleak and uh, an intense movie. I I hadn't seen it, but I'd seen it kind of late, or or I'd come into it late and and honestly got distracted and wasn't paying very close attention when I had initially seen it. Uh, And so I went back, and I just was thinking about how there there is not really, for me at least, a definitive uh, work of, well, fiction would be, 
perhaps not the perfect term for it because it would want to be, you'd want it to be something that was based very much in the reality. There's nothing that's dealt with the full scale and scope of the Mexican uh, drug cartels in a way that is really iconic, and I find that a little surprising. I mean, there have been movies, and there was a movie, Sa- uh, Savage, I think it was called, which I thought was, was bad, um, and then this movie, Sicario, which is not a great movie, but it's pretty good. But also, I, I would like to do more, and I suppose this is me putting out a, a request to all of you, which is that if you know of, if, if there's a, a series or a show that I'm not thinking of that's really good and really fact-based, I mean, it doesn't have to be alter it doesn't have to be a reality show right but if it's really fact-based on the cartels it's such a fascinating subject matter and i think especially as we see the discussion uh heat up over the border wall and it, it came up in the in the context of trump's opioid uh discussion earlier this week which is that which is that there's going to be um the, and there's going to be these walls going up and then if we stop the heroin Coming across, Ty says that Narco Season 3, which I've heard is great, is a very... But is that Mexican cartels, or is that... I thought it was Colombian stuff. Okay, there there we... So that makes... That's... It just... I, I didn't know this, and Ty's telling me this on air. That makes sense, because this is subject matter. But they were from... Uh, I forget what the years were, but basically during the Vincente Fox period, when he was the president of Mexico, something like 50,000 people killed in the drug war. I mean, the the... The number of casualties was staggering, and Al-Qaeda level and style of violence and tape beheadings and and torture, I mean, it's just, and the government was covering it up, and they were involved, and there's corruption, and there's just nothing that's really, I know there's some shows like um, Breaking Bad deals with it a little bit, and and uh, but the next season of Narcos, that makes sense, the next season of Narcos is going to be about the Mexican cartels, because... There's nothing that has really captured it yet. Uh, there's not something I can point to. And I was also thinking about how if I was looking for my, and this is my request, Ty answer the TV request for me, which is that i got to wait for the next season of Narcos on Netflix. But if there's a book that is a real soup-to-nuts, in-depth, this is the story of the Mexican drug cartels that you need to know, I want to read it, uh, and I want to know what it is. Um, I don't know anybody who's who's written that book quite yet. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's being written right now because there's enough of a, there's, there's certainly enough subject matter, but also I think there's been a bit of a lull. And so if someone was doing research on this topic, maybe now or in the next year or two is when a book would come out. But it has played, so, I mean, the Mexican drug cartels have been such, have had such an effect on our security. I mean, on the U.S., Homeland, on the drug trade, on uh, on murder, on organized crime, on prostitution, on human smuggling. And we have such a greater focus in the media on terrorism that's like jihadist terrorism, which I understand, but the terrorism from the cartels is much closer uh, much closer to home on a day-in, day-out basis. So, anyway, it's just a thought that I had as I was watching uh, Sicario. And uh, we're going to do Team Buck Speaks coming up here in just a second, so stay with me. As always, team, it has been a great Freestyle Friday here in the Freedom Hut with you. Uh, I would ask, if you don't mind, please do check out the podcast of this show, Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. You can also check out the Stansbury Investor Hour if you want to hear a bit about the world of finance. I co-host that show with uh, Porter Stansbury, who's the founder of Stansbury Research. Uh, And I'm learning a lot, I can tell you, from 
all of the exposure to the world of markets. And that's where I first got interested in, in uh, Bitcoin, which we will be doing a deep dive on in the near future. So uh, Stansbury Investor Hour on iTunes. Subscribe to that as well. Hey, they're both free. I'd love for you to uh, give them uh, give the second one a shot. And hopefully you're already subscribed to Buck Sexton with America Now. Okay, team, I feel like it's Friday. We're about to go off on the weekend. It is time for Team Buck Speaks. Uh, let's start with, and I just want to note that I will pick out funny ones as much as I can. And I'm also willing to pick out ones that are critical, uh, but they just can't be like mean critical, right? Like I'm, I, I'm not going to read something on air that has profanity, for example. So some of those get cut out. Uh, but I do appreciate all of the kind, thoughtful and constructive messages that I get on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. All right, let's start with uh, on Team Buck Speaks. We have Rick writing the following. I swear we are so in sync in our viewpoints that I feel we must have been separated at birth. I wish my fellow faculty members in psychology had your sound view on human behavior. Well, Rick, thank you. I like to think that I am a keen observer. I am first and foremost an analyst by trade and an analyst really in all things. In fact, I could probably be rightfully accused of overthinking a lot of things, uh, including different periods in my private life. So, yes, uh, I'm, it's, it is possible, I suppose, scientifically that we were separated at birth. I don't know how old you are, but thank you so much for your kind remarks. Cindy and Rob got a joint Facebook account here. I like it, guys. Here's what they write. Despite the deliberate obfuscation and facetiousness, good word, of the MSM and establishment ruling class, is it possible that Putin agreed to pay Fusion GPS to assist with the compilation of the dossier to help Hillary win the presidency because he knew he could use the uranium scandal and Clinton involvement in it to force reversal of the Magnitsky sanctions, the sanctions that supposedly have a great deal of Russian wealth under severe restrictions. Um, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, Cindy and Rob, but I will say when it comes to the uh, Russia investigations, we are certainly living in a in a bizarre world where more and more it seems like not everything is possible, but a lot is possible that we would not have thought before. Uh, so I know that's not that's kind of a non answer answer, which sometimes unfortunately is the best I can offer up. But I, I think that's a, that's a bit much, uh, a little a little too. Uh, there's there would be a little too much foresight, and always remember that when a when a theory involves many layers of perfect knowledge, when a conspiracy theory involves the individuals having to know next steps that there's no way they could when they were planning actually know it's usually a good sign that conspiracy is a little bit too convenient and doesn't really hold together just putting that out there uh brian uh, second time i heard you use the phrase clutching pearls makes me laugh every time god bless and thank you thanks for everything you do i've learned more from your deep dives and buck briefs than I learned in 18 years of school. Well, Brian, that is very kind. I, uh, I'm going to continue with the deep dives and the buck briefs, and I like that people who listen to the show feel like that the, the research that goes into it, which is just me 
reading, taking notes, uh, writing, and and speaking to people I know who are experts and sources of mine. Uh, I'm so glad that that is uh, useful to all, to you and to others who are listening. And it's a constant motivation for me to come up and do a different show. And I do a very different show, I think, any of you who listen to this, than what you'll get from most, if not all, other radio shows out there. Right? I mean, there's some similarities, cover news of the day, but beyond, and I'm, I cover news of the day and I'm a conservative. Beyond that, I think that it's a very different show than you get uh, with most other hosts. Um, there are wonderful things that other hosts are doing too, but I, ha- I have my own way and my own style, I think, here in the hut. Tom, but thank you for your kind words. Tom writes in with the following. And remember, this is at Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Forget the dog. Get a mini pig. LOL. Smarter than dogs and the cognitive abilities of a three-year-old. This is Johnny Walker. Yes, he's named after my favorite whiskey. And Tom sent me a photo of a very adorable pet pig who I now know is named Johnny Walker. So, uh, Tom, thank you for the suggestion. I had a, my little sister at one point was thinking about the possibility of getting a micro pig. And micro pigs are tiny, right? They're like teacup pigs. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think they're called micro pigs, but they are also, I think, are called teacup pigs. And we were thinking about it. And my mother at the time, this is many years ago, was like, no way. And, the, and then you have to deal with New York City regulation as well as building regulations. And New York City, for example, does not even allow you to have a hedgehog. I was thinking a little while ago, you know, maybe that would be a nice kind of midway pet to have. You know, I, I've got a, a little little outdoor area here where he could hang out. And, you know, I, I feel like that would be a because uh, I need a warm blooded animal. I cannot be somebody who has a pet snake. Look, if that's your thing, that's fine. But pet snake, pet tarantula, pet lizard reptile that's not that's not for me uh i I just i I need fur and i need uh, a warm-blooded animal that i can bond with if it's going to be my pet Uh, but uh, hedgehogs are considered an exotic pet in new york state you can't have them or at least in new york city maybe not new york state you're not allowed to have them and i think it was so unfair for years on that show friends you had that guy ross played by david schwimmer who lived in the West Village, where I actually lived at one point, and he had this really cute monkey. Let me tell you something. There is no building that I know of in New York City where you would be allowed to have a pet monkey. And beyond that, if animal services or whatever it's called here, uh, health and hygiene, I forget what the bureau would be, found out about it, I think it's a very steep fine for having an exotic animal like that uh, without a license. But it made me think for a while, hey, maybe I could have a pet monkey one day, too. But I've been around monkeys, I will say. I've, I've spent some time with pet monkeys uh, abroad, as a, a little bit here in the States, mostly abroad. And they're mischievous little fellows. You know, you, you think, oh, they're so cute. But they have attitude and they'll take things from you just for the fun of it. They'll throw things at you. Monkeys are uh, they're a handful. And once you get into chimpanzee territory, now you're talking about an animal that has a very high level of intelligence and problem solving as well as emotional intelligence and is a lot stronger than you are and has really big sharp teeth people don't ever think about that with chimpanzees well maybe they do now because of some recent stories anyway you get me talking about exotic pets i get all excited tea cup uh pigs or micro pigs not allowed in new york city either it's considered a 
uh, farm animal and you can't have them inside city limits. So I like your idea, Tom, and your pig is adorable, but I can't actually have one myself. Jennifer writes in with this, Buck, I'm a patent attorney and I've got good news for you. The happy birthday song is in the public domain. The copyright case settled last year for 14 million and included an acknowledgement that the song is available to all. So sing it, my man. You won't be sued. I'll be over here waiting to hear it in Hillary's melodic voice. Well, Jennifer, um, thank you for the update and sharing your expertise. I need to check this out myself because I just do not want to be in a position where I get some ridiculous bill in the mail for uh, singing a song on air. It's completely outrageous to me. I mean, the don't even get me started on our whole copyright uh, our whole copyright situation in this country, which is it's supposed to be a balance between the state protecting your intellectual property, but also the public being able to use it. And, you know, once we get to like 100 years, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it is, things need to pass into the public domain. It, it should not be, oh, I would love to print this book that was written in, you know, 1930, but it's, you know, it's still copyrighted. Uh, people say, oh, book, what about? Yeah, there are limits. There are time limits. It's supposed to eventually be public domain. It should not be traded like private, uh, like, like perpetual private property of the mind. I just came up with that on the spot. I kind of liked it. Jennifer right now is, I'm sure, shaking her head side to side because she's a patent attorney saying, oh, he, he has so much to learn on this. But that's how I feel. And as we know from Democrats, however you feel, that's all you need. You don't need knowledge. Uh, Robert writes in with the following. This is what DNI Clapper is saying. The intelligence community was commandeered by the Clinton campaign to do oppo research on Trump. Quote, he's quoting me here. Brilliant, simple, uh, simply brilliant. Clapper's right. And you're right. Well, thank you, Robert. I did think that was a, a good point of analysis yesterday on the show again it's this is what i said that the intelligence community was commandeered by the clinton campaign to do oppo research on trump i think there's a very strong case that that is in fact what happened um nicholas writes in with this hey buck i love your show brother and i'm so thankful we have someone to represent us with such character my question is in regards to stephen paddock last night you broached the topic at the end of the show and I would have liked to hear what you thought about the lack of information we have been provided on the people in the crowd who said that everyone was going to die tonight and how he was able to get that many weapons in his room. We still don't have an answer for much at this point. Take care, my friend. Thank you for your time and opinion. Uh, well, Nicholas, I don't have much to add to this because we don't have much in the way of new information. I think getting the weapons into his room is just a function of hiding among the crowd and taking uh, large rolling bags into the room that that's not surprising to me uh, and they wouldn't they don't check your luggage they don't go there's no metal detectors nothing like that so i don't think that's that crazy that he would have given how meticulous he was in the planning that he perhaps uh, did this over a period of time by himself and then you also asked about the people yelling in the uh, someone yelling at the crowd that everyone's going to die that night i agree it's very strange and i brought it up at the time but it may, in fact, be, and I know some of you will think this is a weak explanation, but it may be a, it may just be a coincidence. Sometimes that is what happens. So that's what I've got for you there. DK writes in the following original Saturday team buck member here. Yes. On the blockchain deep dive. Well, DK, we are making that happen, my friend. 
Uh, Jeremy writes in, Buck, I took your advice and downloaded Stansbury Investor Hour podcast. Uh, thanks a trillion dollars in student loan debt. Well, Jeremy, I'm glad you checked it out. And I hope others listening will give the uh, Stansbury Investor Hour a shot. It's uh, a really fun conversation I have with the founder of Stansbury Research and you might learn a lot about markets and finance because I'm really just there as a co-host and doing some politics and general commentary. They have all these finance experts who come on. I, I don't I don't pretend to be a finance expert on that podcast at all because I'm not. Uh, so that's uh, worth listening to. It's worth listening to for me. I hope it, I hope you'll give it a shot, too. And with that, I have to say that it is time for me to head off uh, for my weekend. Uh, Miss Molly has a sniffle, so I don't think this is going to be the most fun weekend ever, but I have promised to make her some really good homemade chicken noodle soup. Um, and maybe, just maybe, we'll go over and visit uh, her family and play with the Pitbull mix that I am, I am in the process of bonding with. With that, I will say to you, have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back with you on Monday. As always, no matter what comes your way, no matter what happens in the next few days, Shields High.